deadline day. Basically, they need to be vaccinated as of now. The vaccine mandate kicks in across health care. What happens to those who don't comply? Kidnapping mystery. What the alleged victim was doing just before he disappeared. And BC's smoldering nautical disaster. This it continues to be a very dangerous and difficult situation. How bad weather is stalling the salvage operation as cargo continues to burn. You're watching Global BC. This is Global News Hour at 6. Good evening and thanks for joining us. BC healthcare workers who are not yet fully vaccinated against COVID 19 are running out of time. As Richard Zussman tells us, they have until tomorrow to meet the requirement or go on unpaid leave. And that could mean staffing shortages in an already stressed system. Deadline day. Unless you received your first dose uh, today or sooner, then uh, you will no longer be able to work in long-term care. That includes anyone working in assisted living or long-term care put on administrative leave and hasn't received a first dose. Across the province, a little bit fewer than 2,000 workers, even after extending the deadline. Fortunately, I don't think it's as many as we feared at the beginning, thanks to these changes that occurred. But because we've been dealing with such a critical staffing shortage throughout the pandemic, any loss is, is going to be felt. There is also a mandate in place for acute care. Anyone who's not yet received a first dose working in hospital or clinic could be put on administrative leave starting Tuesday. The number down from 5,000 last week to now 3,500 staff not vaccinated across the province. The public should be worried about the overall staffing situation in long-term care and in our hospitals. It's been pretty extreme even before the pandemic hits. The impact already being felt, for example, in Grand Forks, the dialysis unit is set to be short-staffed, meaning some patients are forced to travel three times a week to trail, two and a half hours round trip. Those in the system say these instances are rare, with healthcare immunization over 95%. The mandate doing less damage to the system than the virus. If those uh, unvaccinated workers become ill and they're asymptomatic, they can bring COVID-19 into their workforce, which will further disrupt uh, services to uh, those citizens. Doctors working at hospital or clinics are required to be immunized and are so at a rate of 97 percent. Family doctors are not yet required to be immunized, but they are required to provide sound medical advice. Those people are, are, are espousing beliefs, and that's what I would call them beliefs. They're not science, that's for sure, are being dealt with by the College of Physicians and Surgeons. As for nurses, the BC Nurses Union turning down an interview request Monday. Even with high rates among the profession, the union still opposed to the mandate. Richard Zussman, Global News, Victoria. All right, Keith Baldry joins us now with a closer look at the potential reduction of healthcare workers mm -hmm. and, and really how it breaks down by region, Keith. It does vary significantly region by region, Chris. And again, as Richard pointed out in the story, the good news is a big drop in the number of unvaccinated workers in just a matter of days, more than 2,000 a drop, but still big numbers, particularly in the interior. Take a look at this on the regional uh, health authority breakdown. The interior still has more than 1,000 employees unvaccinated with a single dose. A bit of an improvement in Fraser. Quite a big drop in both Vancouver Island, Provincial Health, and Vancouver Coastal, but still a lot of people. The vaccination rate uh, continues to be 
uh, unvaccination continues to be high on a percentage basis in the north. Good news, we've gone from 4% down to 3%. We've gone from 5,500 down to 3,400 in total. Keep in mind, these are not all full-time employees. There are a number of casual workers in, included in this. But uh, the small towns are going to feel this on a disproportionately high basis. As Richard pointed out, Grand Forks is going to go through its own experience. I heard from a, another writer, from a resident from another interior town today saying they had five doctors, but two of them are unvaccinated. They're going to lose two of their five doctors, which means they're going to have to travel much further potentially to get health care. So the interior is going to take, I think, uh, a disproportionately hard hit here with a disproportionately high number of unvaccinated health care workers. We'll keep repeating it until it sinks in and let's hope it does yeah. soon. Thanks very much, Keith. Well, starting today, you will now need to show proof you are fully vaccinated against COVID-19 to dine inside a restaurant. Today also marks the end of those capacity limits at many of those same establishments in several regions around the province. Jean Hua tells us that's good news for struggling bars and restaurants just ahead of what's normally a busy holiday party season. It was no doubt a chilling business proposition. The opportunity to add a splash of flavor to the Maple Ridge restaurant and bar scene. Precariously balanced with the risk of opening up a new location in the middle of a pandemic. It was intense. You know, we had no idea what would be next if in July, August, September, October, what was going to happen. So we just kind of, you know, just pivoted day by day, week by week. Hard work and innovation is how Sammy J's Grill and Bar found a way to survive and pay the rent amidst constantly changing health restrictions. We know people out there that have had a really tough time where they're closing, you know, a couple days a week and not being able to be past, open past 8 o'clock because they have no staff. Just in time, a much-needed lifeline. The province has now lifted group limits in restaurants, bars and pubs. Mingling between tables is also allowed. We maybe have turned a corner here and industry is really quite excited to be able to offer something back closer to that traditional hospitality experience. The easing of rules like a return to full capacity for indoor organized events with proof of vaccination. Still out of reach for some businesses in the Fraser, Northern and Interior Health regions. Uh, we have, of course, in different parts of the province, uh, an unevenness of immunization in the interior and in the north. We have more work to do. A perk that might be too hard to pass up the pent-up demand of those wanting to party. We're seeing an immediate return of bookings, right? So that's for the Christmas season, the holiday season, that's for uh, parties throughout November, and including for Halloween. Once worried the added seasonal sales might be a complete wash. It's nonstop. The phone's ringing off the hook, so to the point that we can't, there's some we just can't take. Sammy Jays is more than happy to see business heat up as we get closer to the holidays. John Hua, Global News. Let's get a quick check of the COVID-19 numbers now for our province. Remember, this is three days worth. We have 1,618 new cases. That's 613 Friday, 529 Saturday, and 476 Sunday. And just under 5,000 cases are currently active. We have 366 people in hospital. 149 of those patients are in the ICU. We've seen 20 deaths over that time, including another person in their 30s, and 84.4% of British Columbians are now fully vaccinated. Air Canada is launching a new COVID-19 program for its passengers that will allow them to test themselves before coming back to Canada. Ted Trinecki has the details. 
These days, it's easier to leave the country than it is to come back. Canada still requires testing on your return, and that's a big problem, costing about $200 and a major inconvenience in finding a lab to do it and getting a quick result. So Air Canada has hired the same company that currently does COVID testing to come up with something better. Don't spend your travel time hunting down a clinic. Simply pack the test with you when you leave Canada. The product was first revealed on the travel trade website, OpenJaw. We now have the ability together via our partners at Switch Health to do COVID testing in the comfort of your home or hotel room or even on board a cruise ship if you want and get the results in under an hour. It still costs about $150 and is available only to Aeroplan members. It's a kit you order online and take with you on your travels. And when you're less than 72 hours from home, you log on to the Switch Health portal. That's step one, log in, get the medical professional in the video conference. Step two is uh, you take, you show your ID uh, for security reasons. Um, You take a swab um, and the uh, nurse or the health professional is watching all of this and making sure that it's done correctly. You put the swab inside of the device and that starts the test. That's step two. And then step three, uh, depending on the type of test, anywhere from 20 to 40 minutes later, you'll have your answer. Are you positive or negative for COVID? Uh, And in step three, you take a photo of the test uh, and you upload it in the Switch Health portal. uh, And then you'll get an electronic test record with all of the right information for travel. It's the latest innovation to get Canadians traveling by air again. There's even help at your destination. The Jamaican Tourist Board, for example, is offering much cheaper testing before you check out as part of your hotel fare. The hope is this is only a temporary measure, and Ottawa finally allows fully vaccinated Canadians to re-enter the country without further testing, but we're not there yet. Ted Chernecki, Global News. Vancouver police are releasing surveillance video of a man they believe was kidnapped last month on the city's west side. Ramina Dea is live with more on this troubling situation. And Ramina, police believe the man was abducted after gambling. And the video is from a high-rise in the Oak Ridge area. It is, Chris, a very disturbing incident for Vancouver police. Now, the victim is 33-year-old Jeffrey Lee. He was last seen at this high-end, extremely high-security condo here at 41st Avenue and Elizabeth Street in the Oak Ridge area. Now, here's what we know. Lee was captured on camera at roughly 10.15 p.m. on the 23rd of September. A short time earlier, he was at his girlfriend's house in downtown Vancouver. Now, police believe Lee was here to gamble. He stayed for several hours. Then just before 4 o'clock in the morning, he left. He was walking to his vehicle, and that's when he was snatched off the street. We believe Jeffrey Lee was abducted by force, uh, taken to an unknown location. Um, We don't know exactly why he was kidnapped, but we know there are people out there who do have information about what happened, and we're asking those people to come forward now uh, to speak to police to help us solve this case. Now, Lee's black BMW X5 was located by police the following day with the driver's side door open. Police were asked today at the press conference whether or not Lee has any connections to gangs. Is he known to police? Police are not saying at this point. Back to you. So many more questions. All right. Thank you, Ramina. 
Well, Southwest BC managed to more or less dodge a meteorological bullet today as the bomb cyclone that threatened to hit the region stalled and weakened off the coast. But as Krista Dow reports, it still caused its fair share of problems. Mother Nature making her presence known, with some taking it all in stride. The water's really high today, lots of wind. The bomb cyclone weakening as it moved through BC's south coast, but still hitting Vancouver Island and the southern Gulf Islands hard. The historic storm bringing with it rain and winds gusting up to 90 kilometers per hour in some areas. I'm excited for the season. It's a little scary, but it's good. I love it. I love the storms. The powerful storm forced BC ferries to cancel all morning and afternoon sailings between the mainland and Vancouver Island. Many drivers now stranded. Well, it makes you frustrated, but you got to take it as it goes. It's Mother Nature, you understand that, but they can't do anything about it. BC Ferries reiterating that the public safety comes first. There are various factors at play uh, that go into the decision to cancel service. Uh, not only would it be the wind speed, but it's the direction of the wind, uh, the sea state, as well as the wave height. Meanwhile, BC Hydro reporting down trees and thousands of outages Monday. This, a common scene throughout as crews work to restore power in West Vancouver. It's difficult to predict how much damage a storm will cause and how long a power outage will last for. Crews can be doing anything from taking a branch off a line, restringing wire, or conducting a full-on power pole replacement. So thank you for your patience. It is unclear the full scale of damage, but British Columbians did get a reprieve this time as the most destructive part of the weather bomb moves on. All right, senior meteorologist Christy Gordon joins us now with more on that storm and why it wasn't as intense as we were expecting. Christy? Mm-hmm. Well, it wasn't as intense across our region, but it really was when it was out on the coast, Sophie. This was an unprecedented storm in that it broke a record. This was the strongest mid-latitude cyclone we've ever had in the Pacific Northwest with the low-pressure center itself, which is kind of like the middle of that cinnamon bun. That's where the most intense winds are. That low dropped to 942.5 millibars. Not only that, it dropped very rapidly, putting it in the classification as a bomb cyclone. But luckily yesterday, it stalled off the coast. Now, it has made its way on shore now, but it's weakened significantly as it has. Now, we still have some wind warnings in place. When I come back, we'll show you uh, how much more winds we're expecting for our region. Strongest winds were out in the coast at about 95 kilometers an hour. Certainly still a number of people without power, but uh, we certainly did dodge a bullet this time. Luckily. All right. Thanks for that, Christy. A nautical disaster continues to unfold off the coast of B.C. The effort to contain a fire aboard a cargo ship track the containers that spilled overboard and yes how wicked weather is making it even tougher that's next on the news hour surveillance video captures a crash not once but twice what police say about the driver coming up on the news hour and some soul searching by a shoe designer leads to a new brand that's supposed to be as good for the planet as it is for your feet that's coming up as well Right now, though, the fire aboard the MV Zim Kingston is under control, but many of the containers on the stricken ship continue to smolder. High winds and waves are preventing additional firefighters from getting on board to help the effort. Kylie Stanton has the latest, including the location of some of the cargo lost at sea. As the storm rolls in, this effort rolls on. Crews have been fighting the fire aboard the MV Zim Kingston for more than three days now. And it's finally paying off. 
the containers that were um, burning are now just sort of smoldering. Um, there's certainly no more um, open flame visible on the ship, which is really positive. But there are still a lot of questions. How the fire started Saturday morning, how many containers have been damaged in the blaze, what can only be answered once Resolve Marine Group, responsible for firefighting and salvage, is able to access the ship. There's been some delays due to weather, but um, they should be on board, um, hopefully this evening. What we do know is where the containers lost Friday in high seas are now drifting in a north-northwest trajectory 12 nautical miles off the west coast of Vancouver Island. Based on this information, we do not anticipate them coming ashore, um, but that doesn't mean there is not the possibility of that happening. And that brings little comfort to First Nations up and down the coastline. They do have a potential hazard. It is really concerning that there's 40 of these bobbing around up there in the ocean. At the same time, the response is being widely praised. A fire on board a vessel is said to be the worst case scenario that in this case had some luck on its side. We're very fortunate in the fact that the two Maersk escort tugs uh, came in on Wednesday as part of the ocean cleanup program. Normally they wouldn't have been here. But there's concern things won't always work out that way. And between increased tanker traffic and climate change, environmentalists warn these incidents will only become more common. We're going to see, you know, a, a real increased risk to our ecosystems and, um, and to people. Both the U.S. and Canadian Coast Guards are monitoring the environmental impact. Once the ship is stabilized, it's expected to be taken either to Vancouver or Nanaimo, where the remaining containers can be safely offloaded. Kylie Stanton, Global News, Victoria. Up next, a Canadian who spent a lot of time stranded in Costa Rica. It sort of put me really in, you know, high anxiety, panic mode. Why the airline wouldn't let her come home with her pet pug, even though he'd already been a welcome passenger. And the holiday events making a comeback, even in COVID times. Traffic has eased off westbound at the Portman Bridge after clearing a crash at the east end in the right through lane. Just some minor congestion now at mid-span. Need winter tires? No time for appointments? Drop by Mr. Lube and enjoy stay-in-your-car tire service on your schedule. No appointment needed. Mr. Lube, ready when you are. I'm Trish Jewison in the Global Traffic Center. Well, the pandemic has made returning home complicated for some Canadians, but for one woman, it was especially difficult because of her travel companion, an emotional support dog. Yeah, when WestJet changed its policy on emotional support dogs mid-trip, she wasn't sure how she was going to get back to Canada with her four-legged companion, and that's where Consumer Matters stepped in to help. And Thanks, Chris. Leslie Greenaway tried repeatedly to ask WestJet for an exemption to its new emotional support dog policy on the fact she purchased a return ticket when it was still okay to bring an emotional support dog on leash in the cabin. WestJet did give her options, but they weren't solutions given the type of breed Leslie owns. He follows me from room to room, so he's at my feet all the time. His name is Rocky, and he's been Leslie Greenaway's faithful companion for 13 years. Rocky is also Leslie's emotional support dog, lowering her anxiety, providing the comfort she needs, both at home and in public. I've suffered with um, anxiety and depression in the past, and it was recommended that, you know, a pet helps. 
Recently, however, Leslie didn't know she would be permanently separated from her beloved pug. Back in the summer of 2019, the Edmonton resident, who has a vacation home in Costa Rica, purchased a round-trip ticket through WestJet. At the time when she purchased that ticket, Rocky, her emotional support dog, was approved by the airline to accompany Leslie in the cabin on a leash. I had all of the proper paperwork done by WestJet. He's had 21 flights with me over the past 10 years. It was a smooth trip to Costa Rica, but returning home, a different matter. Leslie says due to the pandemic, she was stuck in Costa Rica for 18 months, and WestJet canceled her return flight to Canada seven times. When she booked again for this November, she says WestJet had changed its policy around emotional support dogs. The airline announcing effective August 5th, 2021, emotional support dogs would no longer be accepted for travel in any cabin. It sort of put me really in, you know, high anxiety. Leslie says she was given two options for Rocky. She could place him in cargo or in a kennel under the seat. There's no way that he would fit in a kennel under the seat. There's just no way. And Leslie says placing Rocky in cargo was out of the question. The nostrils on these dogs are smaller than they should be. Veterinarian Dr. Adrian Walton says for pugs and similar breeds, it's a very stressful environment. If you're putting them into a cargo hold where there's noise and there's pressure changes, it's a very stressful situation for these animals. So all of a sudden, they're now panicking and they're trying to breathe as, as well as they can. Desperate, Leslie reached out to Consumer Matters for help. Two days later, WestJet responded, stating, Our team has since reached out to this guest to offer a return travel one-time exception for her emotional support animal to travel on leash in the cabin to ensure that she is able to travel back to Canada. It seems like after a month of trying, trying, trying and hitting my head against a brick wall, all of a sudden things are going to maybe come together very fast. And that just makes me really happy. Meantime, WestJet says it will continue to accept service dogs who meet the outline criteria for training and behavior and who support those with disabilities. More information can be found on the WestJet website. And if you have a consumer issue for me, you can email me at consumermatters at globalnews.ca. Pretty cute dog. Yeah, for Not sure. surprised she wants to take him everywhere she goes. All right, thanks very much, Anne. Christmas is coming early for fans of two of Metro Vancouver's favorite holiday events. The Vancouver Park Board has announced both the Bright Nights Christmas Train in Stanley Park and the Van Dusen Festival of Lights will be back starting November 26. Both events shifted to virtual tours last year, but with reduced restrictions and new safety measures. They are reopening now to in-person visits. Ticket sales for both are online and will specify times. Van Dusen will require proof of vaccination, while the train, which is all outside, will not. Up next, the shocking family drama for Rogers Communications. Families have problems all the time, but it usually takes place behind closed doors. A power struggle that threatens a huge deal in Canadian media. And bad choices behind the wheel caught on camera. Global News and 980 CKNW Leadership Series, an engaging interview series featuring inspiring BC leaders, Saturdays on Global and Sundays on BC One throughout November. In partnership with Fortis BC, Energy at Work. 
Good evening. A demonstration in Richmond has Grant McConaughey Way blocked between Templeton and the Aurora Connector. Police are on scene and traffic is extra slow southbound across the Arthur Lang Bridge. Through a new charitable partnership between Kermat Cares for Kids and Surrey Memorial Hospital, when you choose Kermat Collision and Autoglass, you also support the Surrey Memorial Children's Health Center. I'm Trish Jewison in the Global Traffic Center. One person has died in an apartment fire near the James Bay Square in Victoria. Police say they were called to the building at 8.30 in the morning. No one else was injured, but the complex sustained significant damage. It's unclear right now how the fire started, but the major crime unit and forensic identification services were called in. The incident is not being treated, though, as a criminal act. The B.C. Coroner Service is continuing the investigation. Victoria police have arrested a suspected drug-impaired driver who slammed into a storefront at the Bay Centre late Sunday night. Not once, but twice. Take a look at the surveillance footage. It captures a grey Kia Soul being driven into the marble slab around 11 p.m. The vehicle then flips into reverse and then rams into the building again. Officers arrive to find the car, but say the driver tried to take off before being tasered while resisting arrest. The man has been released with a 24-hour driving prohibition as the investigation continues. A high-profile power struggle is unfolding since we learned a couple of days ago Edward Rogers had been ousted as chairman of the board at Rogers Communications. Now he says he was reinstated over the weekend. That has members of his own family speaking out emphatically against him. Global's Shalima Maharaj explains. It's diminishing to the brand and reputation of the company. Another twist in the ongoing conflict at Rogers Communications. On Thursday, the son of late company founder Ted Rogers was removed as chairman of the board after Chief Executive Jonah Talley learned through a pocket dial that there was a plan afoot to oust him. Well, it's very unfortunate and sad. Edward reportedly tried to replace five board members with new ones. The plan was blocked by the board, which includes his mother and two sisters, but it didn't end there. On Sunday, he held a meeting in BC with newly appointed board members. He now says he's been reinstated as chair and plans to take his case to the BC Supreme Court. His sister Martha tweeted, I see Ed has appointed himself the chairman, LOL. This should be taken as seriously as if he appointed himself the King of England. Some of uh, Canadian uh, commentators have likened this to succession. We're going to be the number one media conglomerate in the world. But in succession on television, all the children have votes. They all have shares. And what uh, and Logan is alive. And here, Mr. Rogers has passed away and all of the marbles belong to one child. Meantime, Edward Rogers remained chair of the Rogers Control Trust, the controlling shareholder of the company. It holds around 97% of its voting shares. Families have problems all the time, but it usually takes place behind closed doors. So what next? Rotman School of Management professor Richard Powers says... You know, they're right in the middle of, of trying to consummate this uh, takeover of Shaw Communications at $26 billion. Joe Natale, the CEO, has been leading that team in trying to execute that deal. Are you going to be the largest telecommunications company in Canada, or are you going to still be struggling with you know, family and board issues? Shalima Maharaj, Global News. Well, the public comments are being tallied, and now it's up to the province to make a decision. British Columbians will get paid sick days in the new year. But we don't know yet if it'll cover three, five, or ten days. And as Grace Key reports, the Federation representing half a million workers is making its position crystal clear. Sick days! 
They gathered on the steps of the legislative building in Victoria in a show of support for 10 permanent employer paid sick days. We are here today because it is the last day for government consultation on paid sick leave and we want to send a strong message to the BC NDP government that workers need 10 days of paid sick leave now. The BC Federation of Labour called for this day of action. Employer paid sick leave will come into effect in BC on January 1st, but how many sick days workers will get hasn't been decided yet, with three, five or ten days as options. And it's not an accident that 25 businesses signed an open letter along with the labour movement the other day to the government. We don't want any more shutdowns because workers don't have the ability in the morning to make a decision to stay home. We don't want workers to have to say, I have to choose the rent, the bills, medicine, or doing the right thing and staying home. A poll from the Canadian Federation of Independent Business found that small business owners say they can't afford to pay for a permanent sick leave program. 64% don't support it. 84% say cost is the main concern. 63% support it if it's fully funded by government. It's not the time uh, for government to be spending uh, or putting additional costs on the businesses. They have enough struggles as it is. They're just trying to recover from this long pandemic. Now is not the time. Let's uh, let businesses recover before we ask them about this. About half of the workers in the province don't have access to paid sick leave. More than one million workers will benefit from the program. An update on the public feedback will be available in November. Grace Key, Global News. Still ahead, a big step for shoe design. I was thinking to myself, what can we do to improve this? Footwear that holds a secret that's good for the soul and the planet. And BC lays out its clean BC plan so we can all do our part. What we're all being asked to do over the next decade. Global News and 980 CKNW Leadership Series, an engaging interview series featuring inspiring BC leaders Saturdays on Global and Sundays on BC One throughout November. In partnership with Fortis BC, Energy at Work. You're watching Global News Hour at 6. Well, get ready to get a bit more exercise to fight climate change. BC wants you to get out of your car and onto a bike, walk, or even a bus to reduce planet-warming greenhouse gas emissions. But as Aaron MacArthur reports, an increase in gas production threatens to undermine the provincial effort. The whole village is going. Deadly heat waves, destructive forest fires. Climate change isn't a problem for future generations. It's something British Columbia needs to deal with right now. The government rolled out its plan to accelerate the reduction in greenhouse gas emissions, promising to take action. We can't wait any longer. We can't continue to kick the can down the road. And that's what the roadmap is about. While the plan covers every sector of the economy, it will take a lot to get to the targets laid out. First, if you buy gas, you'll have to pay a rising carbon tax, all the way up to $170 a ton by 2030, up from $45 a ton today. Next, your next car may well be an electric vehicle. Within nine years under the plan, they'll account for 90% of all light-duty vehicles sold, and the province expanding that plan into pickups, SUVs, and big rigs. Finally, Get ready for more exercise. The province wants half of all trips to be on foot, bike or bus by 2050. Investing in transit, electric vehicles, fantastic. 
great, not enough. Environmental groups say the government has failed to provide any real leadership on this file. Incremental steps are meaningless as long as the oil and gas sector continues to receive massive subsidies from Victoria. According to critics, the roadmap provides very little in the way of specific detail on how to address the province's largest emitters. Governments need to take leadership, they need to take decisive action, and the announcement today doesn't reflect the urgency attached to the the climate crisis. The government has so far failed to meet any of its greenhouse gas targets. And while the Premier promised B.C. would be on track for a 40% reduction by 2030, there are still major question marks as to how the government intends to keep those promises. Aaron MacArthur, Global News. Yeah, it's a now thing, not a future thing, isn't it? And two massive storms in the last week alone, the frequency of which is going to increase all tied into that. Let's check in with Christy right now on the weather forecast. Christy. Thanks, Chris. Yeah, you're exactly right. I mean, this is what climatologists have been warning us about for years now, with these high highs, low lows, uh, intense storms like this becoming more intense and we'll see them more frequently. And this situation that we've seen over the last few days is really unprecedented. Not only did we have a bomb cyclone on Sunday, but we also had one on Thursday. And we haven't seen one this strong. I mean, these were record-breaking storms and to have two of them in just four days is quite exceptional. Uh, so yeah, it's Absolutely. This is a now thing. Here's a look, another look at how massive this storm was impacting California with incredible uh, rains as well as our region, uh, the winds. Now, the low pressure center has made landfall across the northern part of Vancouver Island. It's weakening significantly. We still do have some warnings in place. I'll show you those in a second, but these have been the peak wind gusts. So we're talking about the strongest in that 80 to 95 kilometer an hour range. Even the inner coast of uh, the lower mainland saw sort of 60 to 75. Look at Saturna Island, Southern Gulf Islands, 85 kilometers an hour. So, And there's still thousands of homes without power right now. So it certainly did have an impact. These are the warnings that are in place, but I think you'll see that these warnings end by the late evening hours at the very least. Uh, tomorrow, we have still some showers on deck, more so towards the afternoon hours. I think you have a better chance of seeing some breaks of blue sky earlier in the day tomorrow. And then we'll start to see more rain and wind move in. Not the winds storm that we had seen through the day today, but certainly some gusts in that 40 to 50 kilometer an hour range. So wet and windy again tomorrow afternoon, and it will be feeling like fall this week, that's for sure. Tonight's Central Windows weather window is from Campbell River. Frank sent us this, and it just gives you an idea of the impact of storm surge and a wind as well, pushing all those logs up on shore. And one of the big reasons why we really needed to warn people about this, so we were so lucky and uh, glad that it stalled offshore at its peak intensity. It's a lot of logs. Unbelievable. All right. Thanks, Christy. Well, last week was the sixth annual Variety Week here on Global VC. We introduced you to inspiring kids who received autism assessments, adaptive bikes, uh, specialized therapies, even wheelchair adapted vans, all thanks to help from Variety and, of course, to your donations. That's right. And in order to ensure Variety is able to continue helping children with special needs, we asked you to support Variety, and it was amazing. You helped raise over $2.14 million, which means Variety will be able to help 860 children with special needs all across the province. So thank you very much for your amazing generosity, BC. Your donations 
are life-changing and everybody here and especially the team from Variety who uh, writes all of those checks are just extremely thankful so hey, if you didn't get your donation in during Variety Week though they still accept donations all year round so that's you right can definitely go online uh, variety.bc.ca it's burned into my consciousness <laughs> <laughs> that's right just do it all right uh, Squire joins us now Yes, indeed. And the uh, Canucks, of course, are back in town after that six-game road trip to start the season. And when Jay Janauer today asked Elias Pettersson if he is bothered about his slow start, Elias had this to say. No. uh, It gives the guys something to talk about. (laughs) (laughs) We appreciate that, but it's true. Pettersson isn't quite where he usually is, but there may be good reasons for that. And later tonight, how the seed of an idea is changing the shoe industry one step at a time. All right, Squires here now with a look at our sports, Squire. Yes, indeed. Now, last year, you might remember that uh, Elias Pettersson had a slow start to the season. And he's having a slow start this season. It's a good thing he chose hockey and not drag racing because you cannot recover from a slow start in drag racing, but you can over a long hockey season. This year, though, Pettersson has more of an excuse for still trying to get up to his usual high standards. First off, Missing training camp certainly didn't help Pedersen, especially after what happened last season. He missed the last 30 games of last season. He hasn't played an NHL hockey game for a while. He's still a young guy, and uh, we know how good he can be. We know how good he is. Um, but his, his game's going to slowly improve is what we're expecting. I felt fine or felt great to every game, and some games hasn't just clicked. Uh, but, I mean, I'm always trying to compete my best, and some games it hasn't worked. I'm still learning. Um, I'm still trying to be productive every, every game. But, uh, but yeah, I'm just uh, living in the moment, not thinking too much of the past, learning from the past. Now, if there is a silver lining to this, it's that Pedersen suffered through a slow start last season. So he's learned from that. He's learned... A little help from your friends is not a bad idea sometimes. The worst thing I've learned is to try to do it yourself. Like it's a team game uh, and your teammates is helping you out there. So I feel like I've kind of been doing that a little bit. Uh, trying to make, trying to deke my guy instead of like making the easy play, give and go, uh, take a new spot. So, so I think just, I don't know, just... Simplify and uh, and when I play good, when I have a good game, points will come. I'm not worried. As we said, the Canucks are now back in their house, and they will start their home stand tomorrow against Minnesota. They'll play the game at Rogers Arena in front of not just the guys on the bench like last season, but real fans, not cardboard cutout fans. A full house is likely. They will be there to watch a game for the first time since March 10th of 2020 against the Islanders. That was the last time Rogers Arena saw hockey fans in it. Long time ago, man. I still remember that game, and um, it's crazy to think that we haven't seen our fans in in that long. So um, I know everyone's really excited about it. We've been talking about it. We were getting a little itchy on the road there, wanting to get home and play some home games here, especially when we heard it was 100%. And um, 
yeah, it's going to be awesome. All right, Geno Smith and the uh, Seahawks against the New Orleans Saints tonight. Geno's back to pass. Throws this one to DK Metcalf. Metcalf has it. Metcalf's gone. 84 yards for the touchdown. One more look. A bit of hand fighting here with Lattimore. I don't think this was anything nefarious. Lattimore goes down. DK makes his catch. Goes down the sideline. Seahawks up 7-0. But they haven't scored since that long touchdown. They're down 10-7 at halftime. Green Bay Packers superstar receiver Devontae Adams is in COVID protocol and might not be able to play Thursday against Arizona. But because he's fully vaccinated, he would be able to play if he gets two negative tests within a span of 24 hours and is asymptomatic. Now, there is an NFL record book. And there is a Tom Brady record book. And by the time Tom Brady retires, those books may have the same number of pages in them. Yesterday, Brady reached another milestone with a touchdown pass and a win over the Chicago Bears. And then he had to make a deal to get the milestone ball back. Tom Brady set yet another NFL record Sunday, his 600th career touchdown pass to Mike Evans. But Brady has it with a strike. But this milestone comes with a twist. Evans gave the instantly very valuable ball to a fan in the stands. Check out the wide receiver's reaction when he was told Brady had just set a record. The fan was a real sport about it. After a brief negotiation, he gave the football back in return for a bunch of Brady swag. That's a bad deal. It is. That is a terrible deal. Brady was thankful. I don't actually keep too many things, so... Um, in that circumstance, I just yeah felt like that might be a good one to keep. He's going to get something nice in return, so we'll get him a helmet or a couple jerseys or some other stuff. Brady, who's considered by many to be the greatest quarterback in NFL history, ended his day with another memorable moment. He gave a hat to a grateful young fan who has battled brain cancer. Brady said moments like that put a lot in perspective. That was really sweet. Yeah, obviously, tough kid, man. That was nice to see. Now, apparently the Bucks fan who gave ball number 600 back got this. Two signed uniforms and a signed helmet from Tom Brady, a signed Mike Evans uniform, the guy who gave him the ball in the first place, and Mike Evans' cleats, a $1,000 gift certificate to the Buccaneers team store, and two sets of season tickets for the rest of this season and next season. Pretty good deal. Pretty, Pretty good, good deal. deal. I mean, yes, the ball would have been worth a ton. Still, he can auction, always say he can always say the helmet is the one I traded for the ball, and I that know. adds more value. I know it's got a story. Mm-hmm. All right, thanks, Squire. Up next, Canadian-made footwear that gives new meaning to the term shoe tree. We're learning a lot more these days about the impact of fast fashion on the environment. Now, a Toronto shoe designer is taking steps to reduce that carbon footprint. Global's Kayla McLean has more. I was working for a fashion company, and would see us just pump out tons and tons of shoes. And a lot of those just end up in landfills. These boots are made for walking. For Luke Hool, these shoes aren't just made for walking, but for protecting the environment too. I was thinking to myself, what can we do to improve this? What if I told you the shoes you wear could change the world? His big idea, creating shoes that are fully biodegradable. So it's completely organic cotton uppers. There's a cork insole 
that molds to your feet over time. The midsole and outsole are made of a specific compound that biodegrades within about three years. But that's not all. The soles of these shoes house a secret. The seed is actually hidden right here. If you're gonna plant your shoes in the ground in order to have them decompose, why don't we just put a tree seed inside of it and have it grow into a, a big, beautiful apple tree? It took three years of development and designs before the 33-year-old settled on this prototype and a name, Johnny, after the American folk hero Johnny Appleseed, of course. Why the focus on shoes? Well, Hool says the soles of our shoes are usually made out of plastic, which takes about a thousand years to decompose. Times that by 300 million pairs, roughly the amount of shoes that end up in landfills each year, and you've got a serious waste problem. Plastic is such a big problem. Uh, right now it's invading our landfills, it's flooding our oceans. But to me, it's really important that even though as consumers, like individually, we're doing our part and we're trying as hard as we can, um, that industry needs to change too. But will Johnny's shoes biodegrade while they're on our feet? <laughs> That's a good question. Um, it's not. The shoe's compound needs a combo of moisture, pressure, and naturally occurring microbes to activate the process, Hool says. You can definitely go running with them. It's fine. You can sweat from your feet as much as you need. Um, it won't affect it at all until it's underground. Manufactured in ethical factories in China with fair trade sourced materials, it's the shoe that keeps on giving, literally. Whenever somebody buys a pair of shoes, we're going to plant uh, a tree on your behalf as well. And for 109 bucks, shipping included, Canadians can pick up a pair of these kicks on Kickstarter, which they'll receive by next August if all goes well. We're kind of offsetting your carbon footprint. One step at a time. Keela McLean, Global News. Order Johnny shoes. Cool. <laughs> Very cool. Mm -hmm. All right, final word on the weather. Sign Christine. me up. Thanks. So uh, we still have some rainfall in store for us tomorrow, especially in the afternoon with gusty winds. It's just more like a fall day, basically, <laughs> as it will be all week. Got to accept it. Thanks, you guys. Thanks for watching. Night all.